Welcome to Books and Rhymes, the podcast that makes you fall in love with reading while flipping the script with a musical twist on your favourite books. I invite guests to pair a book with a song or an album that sparks the same emotional connection. I'm your host, Sarah, a West African in the diaspora with a deep abiding love for the written word. Join me on a musical journey through the works of new and classic authors. I am extremely excited to announce another live episode on the 23rd of May at Foyle's Bookshop in central London with Sarah Ladipo-Maninka, who will no doubt take us on an insightful and honest discussion about her beautifully written and unforgettable novel, Independence. Tickets are available at foyles.co.uk. That's foyles, F-O-Y-L-E-S.co.uk. The link is in the show notes. I'm so thankful for your positive feedback on last week's episode with Namwali Serpel. Subscribe to the mailing list at booksandrhymes.com for a chance to win one of two signed copies of Namwali's debut novel, The Old Rift. The winner will be announced in next week's episode. In today's episode, I'm joined by Soraya Barr, a British poet and cultural producer of Sierra Leonean descent, whose work draws on the West African tradition of storytelling. In our discussion, Soraya draws connections between Malcolm X and the work of Nas, Erica Badu's music and teenagers in inner-city London, and she situates Lauren Hill's work in Maria Mabar's iconic book, So Long a Letter. Tweet your thoughts on this episode using the hashtag BooksAndRhymes. Follow Books and Rhymes on Twitter and Instagram. Welcome to today's episode of Books and Rhymes. Why are you laughing? <laughs> you just reminded me of like a Cheshire cat who's got the cream. Like, hello. <laughs> Welcome to Books and Rhymes, Araya. Thank you for having me, Sarah. And thank you for um, accepting my invitation to be my guest. I'm honoured and privileged that you're here. That is no uh, problem at all. I think your invitation left me no other option but to be a part of it. But at the same time, it is an amazing platform that you're creating and I'm really honoured and touched that you thought my contribution would be so important. So thank you. So my first question to you is, um, could you just tell me about your reading culture? Would you call yourself a reader? Generally, everyone is a reader. But reading culture is where you get your nose stuck in a book. Like you would literally be quite happy and content to walk down Elephant and Castle with um, Charles Dickens and you'll be content and life is good and life is well and you're able to immerse yourself in the book and put your feet in the protagonist's shoes and go through it. And after you finish a book you get withdrawal symptoms because you got so caught up in the story and um yeah I think I am I'm a reader <laughs> I'm a reader I love reading and I think um my journey began with reading quite late because when I first started primary school though I was born and bred in London I had speech difficulty and I was I'm pretty sure I was dyslexic um, so I had a TA personally helping me with my reading and my numeracy and literacy. So by the time I was able to independently read, I already had this um, deep interest with reading because I like books, I like the pictures and I wanted to understand the words. 
and the way in which the teacher would say it to me or the stories that my parents would read to me I wanted to be able to have the ability to read them for myself so by the time I was about seven or eight I could read independently by myself and I started reading The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and all of the Roald Dahl books and Jacqueline Wilson and I was hooked anyone in my old estate that I used to live on they would always say when Sarah gets sent out um, to play she'll be sitting on the block reading a book or going to the shop with her book with her nose in a book and as time progressed I started kind of like delving into different types of books um from different cultures different backgrounds fiction non-fiction how-to manuals started writing my own stories and my own poems as well so reading is a very big part of my life and I think with reading habits in general sometimes you're reading consistently every single week and there'll be times in life where you're so overwhelmed with what life is going on you can't even bear to actually pick up a book but once you're able to reignite that reading it's it's just it's a love affair man it is Mm. it's a love affair you know it's interesting that you say that um when you were finishing you're talking about you can get so caught up in reading that everything else disappears. Mm. So you're lost in the narrative, you're lost in the book. On the other hand, you can get so caught up in life that you're not able to, you're not able to indulge, you know? Um, Because for me, I find that when I'm anxious, I can't read. Can you imagine reading whilst you're anxious, like something like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and the Oompa Loompas and stuff like that, and you're anxious, and then you start thinking that you're an Oompa Loompa yourself. And you're enslaved by this white man who feeds you chocolate. Okay, when you mention it like that, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory sounds really, really problematic. That's very trippy. Put it like that if you want to be deep about the book itself, (laughs) you know. But then you're a poet. Yeah, I am. And it is very clear that your early reading habit literally inspired the steps that you're on now so could you talk about that your the evolution from reading to being a writer could you just touch on that and talk about your journey in that respect oh this is interesting (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so I really started dabbling with writing when I was nine and um, I wrote a poem for our missus day in year five and it was so good that the teacher was like, you're going to, you're going to recite it to the whole school in assembly on Friday. And I was like, do you know what? I I try to think about how I was on that, on that particular day. I think when I was younger, I was a lot more bolder than I am as an adult. And I would really love to have that boldness Mm. because I was like, yeah, I'm going to go up in assembly and recite that poem. And I did that. I did the damn thing. And it was great. Mm. From then I started writing book mini book reviews it's like so they'll teach us something to do in um english and then i'll just spend the whole week um doing it at home in my mm. spare time so book review i'll write a book review about um whatever book i'm reading at the time and then after that it evolved from book reviews to designing my own magazine um front covers mm. and being an editor of my own magazine um during my formative years and the more I got a handle on my re- my literacy, the more I was entered into the gifted and talented mm. programs in primary and secondary school. So during secondary school, um, I used to write a lot of fan fiction. So 
Oh gosh. What kind oh, of fan gosh. fiction? Oh gosh, I was like a B2K fanatic. <laughs> believe i'm admitting that well i was a b2k fanatic so i would join like forums um that would be like predominantly um african-american girls and then we'll log online and then i'd have to catch up with um the time the time zones and then we'll submit in stories <laughs> chapter by chapter and depending on your reading um they had this thing where you'd write a chapter and if people liked it the more bumps you get because of the song bump bump bump, bump, bump. the more bumps you got the more you'd read, the more you'd um, write. So then after that, I'll join writing collectives mm. on these online forums. Mm. And um, the more I was writing, the more, um, the more I started to think about, okay, I don't want a general, oh, boy meets girl. I met him backstage. He fell in love with me out of the thousands of girls. And then we had kids called Kendra <laughs> and Kyle. And we lived in like Malibu. Um, I started to think of, okay, what if I kind of like not make him like a um, pop sensation? What if I was to create a character for him like he was a um, top politician's son, mm. but he didn't want to follow um, that lifestyle. He didn't mm. want to be straight straight and narrow. He probably wanted to be a creative. And there's this girl who kind of like facilitates that. What if I wrote a complete different environment that i'm not used to mm. so then that made me um broaden up my um my reading um my reading patterns and my reading material mm. started um looking at, um at more complex texts like war and peace mm. i'm thinking war and Little peace Tolstoy, by Little yeah. tolstoy um nina karenina yeah. um i love edgar Allan poe's work Fabulous. um so those are just a few that i can touch yeah. on i've read a lot of african-american literature mm. and black british um literature as mm. well and though there seems to be a lot of, um there's a lot of similarities mm. in terms of kind of like the narratives but it's also distinctly different. So even though we are the same mm -hmm. in in terms of how we may look, we are not a monolith. Mm -hmm. um, some of the issues that you um, occur as an African-American isn't, I wouldn't necessarily have that as a, um, as a black British woman. Yep. I, I won't be able. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. To relate. In that same note, we're going to go into the first book. So the first book that you want to discuss that you picked is your favourite book and the title 
is A Society Within, written by Courtier Newland, a British writer of Caribbean descent. Mm -hmm. So could you talk about that book and why that book in particular you want to, why is that your favourite book? Okay. Oh, right. So I remember when I first read um, Society Within, I joined a library and I've got a habit of joining different libraries because sometimes I rack up a, f a fine. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> you and me both. And I need to just kind of like abandon that library and join a new <laughs> one, a fresh start. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I remember, I think I was about 14 years old when I first read um, Society Within. And the first thing that grabbed me was the front cover because I think generally speaking, like most people if you're trying to find a new read um the ca the front cover has to grab you yes um i think the classics can get away with being quite drab or quite mm. dull or nothing there because it's like from word of mouth you hear how great it is there's reviews and people put it as a must read but it's like for new books i think it's very important that mm. the um front cover is engaging is inviting mm. um and sometimes society within if the um front cover was a bit dry and this sounds so superficial but i probably wouldn't pick it up do you know what you're not the only person who judges books by the covers mm. anyone who knows me if you follow books and rhymes on instagram you know we judge books by their covers even on twitter we've discussed our affinity for book covers and we are not afraid to cuss out bad book, co bad book covers so anywho that's a digression <laughs> But go on, you were talking about that the book cover was what attracted you it, it to attracted the book. It attracted me to the book. Oh, I'm actually holding it in my hands as well. I've got this Are, thing are you excited? Yeah, you? I am. Um, it's really bad. Um, I so want to say something. Yeah, go on. Um, the other day I was with my partner and we went into a bookshop and I, in, I sniffed like the air and then I got this shudder and he goes, are you cold? I said, no. I smelt the smell of books and I got excited. <laughs> you had a bookgasm. I had a bookgasm. <laughs> and he just looked at me crazy, like I was crazy and he laughed. <laughs> and he's like, are you serious? Girl, I was like, I feel yeah. you. I and then I picked up a book you. and I sniff I opened up the page and I was like, Oh, oh, it's a good, it's a good feeling. It's, it's such a good feeling. And for me, I don't read because I have my iPad now because for me, books and storage space became a problem. Mm. So I was like, okay, as and when you're carrying books around in your bag, it's a bit heavy. So I was like, you know what, iPad, mm. Kindle app and iBook pad, um, app and you can have like an entire library there at the touch of your hand. So mm. it's like to feel it is very, oh, okay, it's good. <laughs> um, so I read the the, the blurb on mm. the back cover and I was like Ooh, this is like a this is set on an estate in London and to me that was a foreign concept at the age of 14 they were teenagers though they were a bit older than me I was like okay this is something that I can relate to um let's take it home and um at the time he also had another book um his first this was I think this was probably the second no, this is the second novel that he wrote. The first one um, is a prequel to this okay. called The Scholar, which coincidentally was written 20 years ago. Oh, wow. Um, he first wrote that in 1997. So I, I took out both of the books in the series. I was like, okay, cool. Let's get started. <laughs> Let's get into this. <laughs> and then I'm reading it. And then I get to the dialogue. And the dialogue is like in, in slang. Like, um, probably like more current at that time. But it's like this thing, oh, 
there was one particular they were just be talking oh i was just coaching at her yard i can i can i come check you later and i was like wow it was just mind-blowing because generally speaking when you think of literature you think everything has to be proper you've got to dot the i's and cross the t's and then you've got something i can relate to and it's very accessible for me and i can relate to it being a um young afro-caribbean person in london and though it may have been set in west london majority of the time it it conveyed themes that i relate to i can look at i can look at any character in that book and know somebody like that i'd have an aunt like that or a cousin like that or i'd have a friend who has a similar family um set up as that that and the fact that um i think now in hindsight the reason why it's my favorite book is the older i got i've done radio hosting uh, community radio in west london and a lot of the scenes that caution newland described i saw it play out i've walked those type of streets i've been in those type of environments so to be able to have something that is a um a book for me personally i think it's a landmark can a book be a landmark yeah no in your life yeah landmark yeah. is something that actually you go back to something it's like a, a timestamp. Yes, it is. I would definitely call it a timestamp in my life. And the fact that um, a book of that nature um, has impacted British culture so much. And he, that a book of that nature where you've got a lot of people who are snobs and probably wouldn't consider this as art or would kind of like think, oh, because it's not it's not a Shakespeare or it's not a J.K. Rowling. Mm. Um, they might otherwise ignore it yeah they would ignore it or they won't think it's very important we're going to now talk about the music you pair uh, a society within with I don't know why my brain just went quiet there for a moment Your the song you pair it with is by Eric Abadou yeah didn't you know yes um i think that particular song is kind of like a cry god i sound i don't know i don't want to come across as i'm being fake or i'm being kind of like fake woke or anything but it just seems as though it's like a cry um of you're trying to find your way in somewhere and it's like you're just kind of like almost going around in a maze Because when you go around in a maze, you kind of like find a dead end or you end up back to square one and you're like, okay, where am I? What am I doing? Where am I going? And um, sometimes within the society that you're in, you feel like you're in a maze. And a lot of um, the time within that book, there's a lot of people thinking, how did I get here? Mm. Or how do I kind of like get out of it? And or um, to live in that sort of environment it's a never-ending struggle yeah. um 
But at the same time, there are, as with most books, you've got your equilibrium, disequilibrium, and a new, um, a new equilibrium. So it may not be the same as the beginning, but it is still a change. Mm. And um, I think that song embodies all of that mm. for me. Mm. And it happens to be one of my favorite songs that I always turn to when um, life is getting a bit too hard. Um, and just that reassurance towards the end um, mm. that love is life mm. and irrespective of what you may be going through and the pitfalls that you may embark on there's always an end there's mm. always some form of a resolution and mm. if there isn't then that means your story isn't over mm. and that's why I paired the two so when I read the book um, I, I found the dialogue alien to me and we had a discussion earlier mm-hmm. on. But I found it alien because I was, and, and, and so I'm going to read um, like a few lines. So this is at the beginning of the book when um, the young people, they've just changed location. They've moved into a new property because their old property caught fire. And so the mother then sends one of the young ones, one of the young people to go to the shop and get mm-hmm. something for them. Take this and get me some washing powder Toilet roll, some super glue from the lamp. Will a tenner be enough? More than enough, Elisha replies. You're cooking later. Uh, Veronica gives a strange look. Are you mad? I'm too tired to cook, girl. Ain't there a chippy around here or something? That's what I'm saying, innit? I seen I seen a West Indian takeaway by that little row at shops. I can get us. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Do you know what you remind me of right now? You remind me of like a typical West African elder <laughs> when they say, Ini. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Okay. You can see how awkward it is for me to actually, for my eyes to actually read the text. You can see, because I'm trying to think, how will this sound mm-hmm. out loud? So this was when I was reading it at first, because the end of the words, he drops, deliberately drops alphabets from words, like take this and get me. So instead of and, it's ands with an apostrophe, with, um, you know, parenthesis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes, um, you cooking later. So instead of cooking with a G, he drops the G. So you're cooking later. So the language is very informal. And instead of T-H-A-T for that, he writes D-A-T, that, mm. you know. Um, so at first I'm like, I thought, do you know, like, why is he writing in this language? Because I'm thinking it's inauthentic for an adult person to write, to try and mimic young person this is young uh young adult young adult, young adult fiction yeah. and there are conversations mm-hmm. about adults writing young adult fiction and there is this notion of inauthenticity an older person trying to write what they think a young person sounds like mm-hmm. that's a different conversation but for me it was a case of i'm not familiar with these languages because um I went to um, an independent school, a state school nonetheless, but an independent school, an independent Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, for all intents and purposes, I had, um, I didn't have your typical inner London experience. Mm-hmm. So this is not part of my experience. lived experience. Even mm-hmm. though I'm black, I'm in Britain, I'm African, and you can you can sort of contextualize me as black British. I am not black British in this respect. Mm. So when I was reading it, I had to check myself and say, why are you questioning this writing? Because it is not authentic to you, mm-hmm. does not negate the truth mm-hmm. in the text. 
So it is interesting to actually hear you say that the language is what drew you to the text. Um, we're going to go into your second book, mm -hmm. which is So Long a Letter by Maria Mabar. And, yeah. <laughs> and this is the book that has made the most impact on you. Yes. Yes, it has. Um, this is the book that's had the most impact on me. I read it this year, earlier on this year in February. It got recommended, someone recommended it, me to read it. And um, I kind of like joined this website where you get a subscription and you have like access to a number of texts. So I um, began reading it and I was hooked. It's a novella um, set in, um, I think it's 1970s or 1980s. Um. It's written in the 80s, but mm -hmm. the timeline within each set is set on the cusp of, Colo of um, independent Senegal. So for me, it was amazing. It's a novella and... It's start. It's a letter. It's a really long letter. So long a letter. It's, it's so long a letter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, it was so long a letter. Letter. The protagonist is Rama to life. Yeah, Rama to life because um she's got she's writing to her her best friend Asiatu Bar, which is quite funny because my mum's name is Asiatu as well. Don't but try and claim. Go on. I'm claiming this. It's like, <laughs> me, if I can even try and say, that's my auntie, I will Don't say no, it. Because no, she's I'm actually dope. The Asiatu is a dope, dope, dope character in dope. the book. But go on. She is. And the fact of the matter is she actually does the actions that she has, which mm. we'll discuss further. Mm. It reminds me of my mum's character mm. and um, what unfolds within the book. So um, Ramatala, she's um, recently lost her husband and she's currently in the... She's currently... Um, undergoing idada and that i probably pronounced that very wrong but that's the arabic for, um for a muslim process of a widow mm. so when a muslim woman loses her husband she has to go through mourning for four months and 10 days mm. so during that period of time she's talking about um she's writing a letter to her friend asia tuba who doesn't live in senegal anymore mm. she's migrated mm. um for economical reasons mm -hmm. and other reasons which we will um discuss Unpack, forever. Yeah. um but she's lost her husband and she's also talking about um how she's coping with dealing with her co-wife he's mm. her husband her late husband's second much younger younger wife um, well, she's young enough to be his daughter, but um, yeah, mm. his second wife. And mm. she's talking about how she's dealing with that, how mm. Senegal is changing, mm. how she's coping with life as a woman, as a mother, as a widower who also works as a teacher. Mm. In keeping with the theme of books and rhymes, mm -hmm. you paired So Long A Letter with The Passion by Lauren Hill. Song. I okay. think the lyrics are apt. The lyrics, the song, it's it's 
like a lament. She's lamenting. Oh, yeah, definitely. A song. She's lamenting love. Lauren Hill is in this song. Mm-hmm. And the lyrics are very repetitive. It's yes. literally repetitive lyrics. Um, the sound is somber. The sound kind of draws you in. You feel her pain. You feel her hurt Mm -hmm. in the song. So could you tell me why did you feel the need to connect this particular song with um, So Long A Letter? Oh, um, I think even though it was written from the point of view of women, their decisions ultimately and the the cause for this course or the letter was related to men and they've caused all this destruction around them the men with, the men have create, created all this destruction without them with well some would say oh they're having their cake and i think we had that conversation it's like they are having their cake and eating it but um as the story unfolds you'll find that the men themselves even though they 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 made their decisions very with their eyes with their eyes open they walked into it very comfortable they didn't even walk into it they bopped into it like with a lean in their step um and they still suffered as well so there the was men the men well? suffered. Yeah, they did. They did. Um, other people say good, but they did suffer ultimately. And literally, um, Lauren Hill says, if you only knew love like this before. So it's like it's just taking that emphasis on the notion of love. And if you truly love somebody, you wouldn't put them through what they are going through and um even some of the decisions that the women would make for themselves um if they knew the love of themselves Mm. would their decisions have changed if they loved themselves a lot more than how i probably would perceive some of their decision making to be a lack of self-love if they love themselves more how would the story have gone? How would it unfold? Because again, this is just um, Mama Bar is taking her lived experiences, whether she lived through it directly or she's living them vicariously through stories that she may know or um, scenarios that has happened within her life that's impacted her to write a novella of this nature. Um, If there was enough love in the world, or within that society, would it change? Because a lot of women are affected by polygamous relationships. Mm. And sometimes it's a case of where it's a clear indication that their their spouse is more in love with wife number three mm. and probably mistreats wife number four, but kind of like picked her up along the way for whatever whatever social standing you may have or whatever lust that you may have. Or um, maybe wife number one can't produce a son for you. Mm. So you marry somebody else, but you don't think about how that would have a psychological effect on that woman. And oh, sorry. And within the story as well, they don't just focus on um, they don't just focus on the main protagonist. They talk about they give other examples of other women who have um, kind of like 
bore, bear, uh, they've bore the brunt of a polygamous relationship. Mm. And it's just kind of like a, a, a lament of if we were to love, human beings in general were to love the way in which, like purely without any, just purely without any kind of like agenda behind it, if you were to love people purely, what a world would it be? I'm now going to ask you about your relation mm-hmm. with the book because this is about your relationship. I know you're passionate about the story. Yes. I know. You're passionate about it. You and know? and, and it's even, a really even, good even Ramatulai's um own. <laughs> but that can even that can be kind of like deconstructed. Yes. We can talk no, about no, this we can, all this night. Is, this book, it's 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 a topic on its own, but it's let's talk about your relationship okay. with it. So um Rema Bar. Is an African woman grappling with a society mm-hmm. that is increasingly moving from the traditional to Western lifestyle and Western ideals. Mm-hmm. Do you identify with these tensions? You know, especially when I say do you identify, I mean you are a Sierra Leonean woman mm-hmm. um, with you know Sierra Leonean parents. Your parents are were they first generation migrants? They've come over here from Sierra Leone. First generation migrants. Yeah. So and I'm you first, were born first generation, you're first generation British Sierra Leonean. There you go. So you're born here and they are from um, home, from Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's that thing of you being a child born in the West mm-hmm. and they being um, parents from um, the continent. Mm-hmm. So um, do you identify, do you... Are these tensions between the old and the new, are they reflected in your lived experiences? And if they are, if you have identified points in which there are similarities in that, how do you, how did you navigate them Mm -hmm. and how did you circumvent these tensions? Uh, So my lived experiences is probably different to a lot of my peers who have, um, economic migrant parents because my mom came here when she was quite young she was nine years old my dad came over here in his teens but even though they have an understanding of um british culture a lot of the time i grew up thinking that when i'm within my four walls i'm in sierra leone Mm. so a lot of um things that will probably be a bit foreign to my um my english peers is that as a girl child, I need to know by the age of 10 how to cook, how to clean, um, assisting my mother in those sort of roles. And um, there was a big emphasis on education because education in Africa is a luxury, um, as sad as it is to say. Um, what I found within um, reading So Long a Letter, because both um, both female leads um Ramatalai and Asiatu they both have children mm. but there was more of a focus on um Asiatu raising her children and I guess she was facing the same struggles that my mother would have done um I think she's got twin daughters and mm. one of them I think one or both of them had kind of like discovered smoking at some point um That's Ramatalai. Ramatalai yeah so she um so things that occur in my youth because yeah i discovered smoking at a young age <laughs> when you're not supposed to you know you experiment and uh, <laughs> oh god my dad will murder me <laughs> but you're older now Who would, i yeah. know um but it's quite i found it quite fascinating that i'd always had this perception in africa that everything was really strict 
For me, getting sent back home was a punishment because you'll get on the straight and narrow. But I'm reading this book at this age and I'm like, they were doing the same thing I was doing here. <laughs> the issues are kind of like parallel, but it's just the setting is completely different. Um, Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. With regards to kind of like the struggle between the old and the new, there are some traditions that my fam, my parents have or perceive me to um to achieve where I'm like, I don't want to do that. But I guess it's because of the time that I'm in as well. We're going through a digital age, and I guess in a way, um, the way so long a letter is written, they're going through a revolution yeah. themselves, yeah. um, and times are changing um Ramatalai through uh, Maramabar she's got this distinct way of um Ramatalai relaying to Asia to the changes within um Senegal from what yes. they remember it to be yes. um so it was it is a very beautiful book that unpackaged um a central theme of change mm. and I guess we are we as a people, whether you're on the living on the continent or part of the diaspora, you're always constantly going through this change and there will always be a struggle because it's like as a parent, you have one experience and then when you have your offspring, it's not the same. Mm. Even with the whole notion of the second wives, mm. as a Muslim woman, um, realistically speaking, if my husband wanted to marry a second wife he can do that would you accept it though because <laughs> 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 that's a million dollar question well this is why i say this book has had such a big impact on me because um at the time i was seriously considering marriage um if you if in african standards i'm well over the hill you know i need to be married fast fast quick quick so at the time of reading it um i'd already had conversations with married girlfriends girlfriends who may be looking girlfriends who are staunchly saying i'm just focusing on me right now if he comes he comes if he doesn't he doesn't but reading that book and um having to deal like seeing how 
other women are dealing with um with being the first wife or mm. being the second wife mm. i was for me i was like that's not my portion mm. and within my culture in general there are people who, who do have second wives i've got family members back home who um are in polygamous um relationships yeah that's not my portion and again, some people can say, oh, that's down to culture, what you're exposed to. But there's a lot of people back home or um, in or historically um, that don't have it. And again, it depends on sometimes um, it's clear as well within the book mm. that religion and culture, often the lines blur. And sometimes people use religion, but they kind of like um, package it in a way that is of their benefit yeah. and it's not really kind of like following the religious mm. practice to a T because um a lot of the things that were happening and the way in which these men were acquiring their second wives was very detrimental and you have two characters who have the same um situation happen to them and they re react completely differently Different. yeah yeah and, and they're of the same time frame yeah. and they are best friends yeah. as well yeah. so usually you think oh you're my girl you're my you're, you're my sister if we are like besties we're doing the same thing yeah. if something happens to me you're gonna react the same way but they act completely differently mm. in that vein it's that thing about um what constitutes feminism is feminism literally you saying that I'm going to disrupt the status quo or is it you actually saying I'm going to ride the storm, ride the wave? And for me, the way I interpreted it through this text was to thine own self be true. For me, um, I'm actually upon your recommendation <laughs> and your such reliable sources. I'm starting to read up on feminism purely because one, I... I'm not going to lie, I've been a bit ignorant around mm. around that topic. And there's a lot of questions and a lot of conversations that happen around it that I would love to be able to put my input in. But I want it to come from a place of knowledge and not mm. just kind of like my own notions and then tutus, mm. I'm shot down yeah. and I don't have no <laughs> clap back to give. Um, but when you mention... Um, the two extremes about okay I'm not tolerating this and it's destructive and very revolutionary or you've got I'm just going to ride out the storm for me I just think of the principles of Islam mm. because realistically speaking if somebody does an injustice to you you as a Muslim you have a right to get your revenge mm. um, at the same time it's recommended for you to try and forgive and overlook it and try and overcome it on a more kind of like some people will call it a more docile way but it's a more peaceful way because it's less destructive to those who are directly affected by it one of the characters decisions <laughs> to stop laughing at me stop it do, do, do you now understand why i said that this is the book that gets to me i could uh, no because okay. no spoilers do you know what? I didn't even give no spoilers about Society Within, and that's like my favorite book. This no, one, I'm this, going No, because in. this one hits the spot. <gasps> no, this, this one, okay. I don't think you realize the impact this book has on you. This book touches your core. Yes. This is the kind of book that you read, because I read it, you know, I because I wasn't able to get it from the library, mm -hmm. and I, you know, if I'd ordered it, it'd 
you know, it takes yeah. too long to come. I so think I read realistically speaking, it's a, it's a text that isn't um isn't very popular. It's only if you know, you know. There's a lot of people who I've spoken to about it, and because they um had their education on the continent they're like yeah i've read that book but um over here and maybe because it was written in english no written in french and then translated, translated. into english it's probably not accessible so maybe um somebody who had done schooling in france or um they had access to it but over here marimabar is like even when the person introduced me to her as an author i was like no i've not heard of her um but now i'm just so happy that i was able to this book has changed my life and the reason why i say that is because grandma the reason why i say that is because one of the main characters based on her decision comes into conflict with her family members Mm. because of her decision and again that has the conflict between the old and the new and um the generational kind of like tug of war if you will because she's made a decision and for me a lot of people may see it as weak but maybe what for me when I was reading it I saw it as a woman who was in love Mm. and though she's faced the utmost betrayal by this man that she loved she she was willing to still kind of like abide by that covenant that she made mm. with God. Mm. Um, that is heartbreaking. That, yeah, for me, that was heartbreaking. Another thing that I got from this is no matter what decisions you make, there are no, no decision is easy. No, there are repercussions. And not just repercussions, but whatever path you choose there are going to be bumps on the road Mm. there are going to be nothing is ever easy in life but be justified in every decision that you make make sure it is true to you um and yeah and yeah don't live your life for other people but that's me just me i don't want to say what i want to say but yeah (laughs) don't live your life for other people no at all didn't realize how much so long a letter impacted me because i've not had them i've not really had to talk about talk about it not many people even even if i've spoken about it i'll be like it's a great book left it at that kept it moving but i've not gone into it so now i'm going into it and i'm like (laughs) wow it was good you selected the autobiography of Malcolm X as yes. your <laughs> your third book. Yeah. Your particular, well, more specifically, is mm-hmm. your go-to book. That's my go-to book. So define go-to. What is go-to in this context? And how does Malcolm X fit into your definition of go-to? I think people who inspire you, you should always review their story review where they're coming from what they've been through what they've accomplished and as much as you can try and get inside of their mind Mm. so you would read interviews or read their articles um watch video footage of them um observe their work and for me malcolm x's autobiography is my go-to to gain inspiration you chose to pair the autobiography autobiography of Malcolm X 
with Nas, it ain't hard to tell. Yeah. What is the connection between Nas and Malcolm X? Um, for me, um, Nas, sorry, I know, okay, I'm just going to put this out there. I decided to kind of like be a geek and write little notes for myself. And Sarah's like, no, this is authentic. <laughs> book some rhymes. Oh, it's authentic. Leave your book. Um, but I just kind of She's like, going to read her notes now. No, I'm not reading my notes. These are the actual lyrics that I think kind of like pair the two together. But um, Mal uh, Malcolm X, though, he was born in Nebraska and um, he's kind of, his life got scattered around most of kind of like the Midwest and the American South. Um, prior to him embracing Islam, when you think Malcolm X, you instantly think New York. Nas is very New York. Um, New York is very gritty. Um, a lot of the time, um, Nas has Nas's lyrics has allusions to Islam. Um, this particular song, um, I think he I think there may be some um, um, Islamic references, but not many. But um, yeah, it's just like the wordplay. Nas is very. I'm a, I'm a secret hip hop head, but Nas's flow is sick and his wordplay is second to none. Mm. In my opinion, in my opinion, he is the He's best. a lyricist. He's, he's an amazing lyricist. He is. And then when he's rapping, I think Malcolm X, you are inspired by Malcolm X because it's like um, when you hear the way in which Malcolm X speaks, I'm I'm such a geek. Sometimes I will just go on YouTube and watch a Malcolm X speech because the way in which he conveys it is almost as if he is rapping, mm. and it, it it he just does it. He conveys his messages with finesse, and he schools people. And there's a particular line in Ain't Hard to Tell where Nas says, "School of all well, you feel it like Braille." Get, get, like literally <laughs> it's like you're blind but you will still see by yes. force yes. um and literally that is just kind of like um the it's very synonymous to malcolm x's story because it's like um some of the lyrical content within that particular song it refers to um I'll use the term loosely and with quotation, unsavory things. So he talks about smoking weed mm. a lot in it and um, acting up and mm. things I that mean, are connected it's, to it's, street. It's, it's talking and about that his is life. His life. And that's very much Malcolm X because Malcolm X wasn't always five times a day praying, has his Betty and his children and um, uplifting um, the black woman and talking about the black woman's plight in America, being the most unprotected and most unloved and most mm. endangered person in America. Mm before he was um in a relationship with a white woman mm. and he um he used to um relax his hair back then they called it conking mm. um and coincidentally 
whilst he got arrested, the, um, the police actually cut off his water supply, so he still had the oh, conk yes. in his. He had a relaxing, the film. and in the it film and in the book as well. So he eventually had to wash Scalp, his yeah. wash his hair in the toilet water mm-hmm. because it was burning, burning him. his scalp. Um, so in a way, he was quite lost, and sometimes within that, um. You, you're always kind of like on a tightrope where I find myself in a tightrope where you're trying to follow a straight path, but the ratchet in you just keeps coming out, <laughs> you know? And um, not saying that Malcolm X is ratchet in no way, shape or form, but his past life was very much what we would deem to be of somebody who was battling their own inter- mm. their, no- their own term- internal demons, but there was no kind of like guideline or um, to keep them in constraints so they were just whiling out and through his imprisonment he was then able to be introduced to a form of islam and um, as he progressed and i like to say use the term elevation i don't like evolution because evolution mm. means you're changing completely mm. elevation means you remain the same as you have always been mm. but you're just ascending to higher high heights mm. and realistically speaking malcolm as i mentioned before from the beginning he's always been himself he's just he's elevated to higher mm. heights mm. and um that's why i think of nas because nas with his work and his body of work um he, he always elevates. Malcolm X went through different changes, mm-hmm. different transformations in his life. People remember him now as the ultimate freedom fighter, the one who speaks um, for the oppressed. Mm-hmm. But in truth, he was a pariah. Yes. At the time when he was alive, he was a pariah mm-hmm. by the media. In fact, even within the black community, the African-American community that he was advocating for, Mm -hmm. he was a pariah. Because he did what a lot of people were scared to death of doing. He was the megaphone, not even the voice, the the mouthpiece. He was Mm -hmm. the megaphone Mm -hmm. of expressing the extent of what white oppression does to black people i understand that a lot of people are either pro malcolm or pro martin for me they're one in the same they are literally yin and yang in that same vein there is some um, a scholar called um james h cone he he started his theory which i'm just like why did it take so long for someone to come up with this concept mm-hmm. his theory is called black okay. liberation theology okay. so he was a theolog- theologian in america and he was very much pro black power and everything he was studying uh, he was doing his phd in theology and he realized that you know um he saw a lot of parallels mm-hmm. in the christian text uh, parallels between the black the Amer- the african american lived experience in america and the sufferings depicted in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And then he found the disparity between how those sufferings in the Bible are being, um, are being interpreted by the white establishment. Yeah. And how those sufferings are being used to further oppress black people. Instead of actually saying that, no, actually, we are oppressing you and we are misappropriating the scriptures to oppress people. They're saying this is God. Yeah, like basically saying that because they use and the this Bible. This is your portion because there's this. There is um, 
you know, slavery was justified based on the theory that black people are the sons, descendants of the sons of Ham. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this, but in the Bible, um, Noah, oh, yeah, who, you know, the, the, yeah, to, for, I'm in case, I, in case our listeners yeah. are not familiar, okay. but in the Bible, I don't know if they had the same story in, in Islam, mm-hmm. but in the Bible, um, you know, Noah, the story of Noah, um, the earth was going to be destroyed because of man's wickedness. And therefore Noah um, was uh, tasked with saving mankind. Mm-hmm. Right. And so after mankind was saved, um, Noah had no... Was it? Is it Noah? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Noah, it's Noah. Because Noah yeah. had, had Ham, Shem, Ham. and Japheth. There you go. So Noah had three sons. Um, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, like you said. So one day Noah got really drunk. He got so drunk that um, he lost his inhibitions. And then the son saw him naked. Ham saw him naked. And Ham went to laugh and went to tell his siblings. Mm-hmm. And the siblings came and saw the father naked. And I think it was mm-hmm. Japheth that okay. actually got the cloth and covered, and covered him. him. Mm-hmm. And Noah then re, um, you know, became, realized this incident and he then cursed Ham. And he said to Ham that you would tell the fields and your generations and your generations and your generations would continuously tell the fields. Now the um, enslavers interpreted this. They then... They misappropriated this by saying that black people are the sons of Ham because we're black. Mm. Our skin is black. Literally meaning that (laughs) because Noah cursed Ham to say that you're going to toil the fields. Ergo, black people became black because they were always toiling the fields. (laughs) They were (laughs) always out in the sun. Therefore, it is in your DNA to go and pick cotton in the fields. See, now so, that's a different theory because I've always um, heard of the story that um, black people are dis- descendants of Cain because um, after Cain murdered a- Abel, mm. he was sent to wander the earth um, like aimlessly. Mm. And um, therefore black people are meant to be diaspora and scattered all around the earth. Exactly. And um, we're quite aimless. So, that is a new theory. That oh, that's that's an, this is the theory that was used. Okay. That was the linchpin of American slavery. That's interesting. Yeah, this was a linchpin because it was basically you're meant to till the earth. Mm. Uh, black people are tilling the earth. They're always out. They're subhuman. So basically, you oh, wow. do not qualify. You do not qualify for the grace okay. of God. You do not qualify for the glory of God. Um, you do not qualify for grace or glory. And and it which goes back to this. Um, That's really damaging. It's you know which goes back to this myth. So if you look at theor- um literary theories, mm. and if you look at the themes and motifs of Victorian literature like Jane Eyre and Co, you find that there is this the motifs of whiteness being linked with angels, yeah. whiteness being linked with lightness, and lightness being equated with uh good. Mm-hmm. and blackness being equated with evil and anywho now yeah. exactly so going back to james and h Cone, sorry you're just quoting <laughs> everything aren't you <laughs> so going back to james h Cone, he then saw this this thing this connection mm-hmm. between um white supremacy or the subjugation of black people and the sufferings of the Israelites in the Bible mm-hmm. and the sufferings of, yeah, the sufferings of Israelites in the Bible. And it was actually saying that actually, no, actually hold on. What we have been taught is false. Yeah. The theology that we're being taught is false because he realized that this is not being discussed. And so him being in the establishment 
being a black person in a predominantly white environment, coming up, with, coming up with this theory and realizing that there's no one supporting him, it was then upon him to go and study this even further. Mm. I mention him because he wrote a book about Malcolm and um, Martin, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, mm -hmm. and literally saying that they're two sides of the same coin. Yes. Where Malcolm X was advocating, because Malcolm X was the precursor to the Black Panther Party. People mm -hmm. don't realize he was a precursor to Black Panther Party. Oh, yeah, he was. And Martin Luther King was um, also the precursor for the SN SNCC, the students, the nonviolent protest. Mm -hmm. And Mark Martin Luther King was for dialogue, was all about dialogue. And Mar Malcolm X was like, no, there is no room for dialogue. You've done too much damage. So he was basically saying that both are two extreme sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. You can't be too acquiescent and you can't be fighting all the time. You need yeah. both the yin and the yang to work together. You do. And I think towards um, the latter part of, of Malcolm's Malcolm X's life, life yes. um, more so when he, um, which he goes on to relate in his autobiography, when he decided to leave the um, nation, nation of, of Islam, Islam. Um, and the way in which he left was, as he describes, under great betrayal by somebody who introduced him the and welcomed yeah. into Islam and welcomed him and kind of like gave him the platform to um, do his preaching yeah. and reach the level in which he had. He yeah. was at a loss and again, going through another state of evolution yeah. within himself. So Malcolm X, discovery of books, changes life and trajectory. And I want to know if I, I want to know if you can speak on the impact of literature, books and reading on your sense of self and your sense of identity. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of books do you choose to read? Because so far you've picked a book about um, the development of self, a book about people who are in between cultures, marginalized characters. Mm -hmm. You've picked um, a book by a Muslim woman in the continent of, in Africa, in Senegal. Mm -hmm. And now you've picked a book by a radical freedom fighter in America. So your reading is varied and the things you read about are varied. Mm -hmm. So how do books and how do reading impact you impact your output and impact how you see the world and how you relate to people who are different from you and also in the world. <sighs> okay. Um, for me, I think my relationship with books is pretty much the same with how Malcolm rediscovered um, the art of reading whilst he was in prison. And in the beginning of his autobiography, he explains how he was a very bright child um, and how um, the comments of a teacher then kind of like made him flip, the up, um, flip his middle finger and says, well, if that's how, what you think of me, I'm going to basically mm. go against the school system. But um, he started off by being instructed to read the dictionary from A to Z. Mm. Um which that's something I've never done. But from that within itself, kind of like reading every word in the dictionary and finding out the, and reading the definition as well and then accelerating your reading to a level. And when you're in prison, you've got all the time in the world yeah. to read, to be honest. Um, but for me, I think once 
that exercise opened a floodgate. And for me, when I was able to finally kind of like read unassisted, mm-hmm. that opened a floodgate for me. It got to a point where I could read a 300 page book within 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone a bit lazy now because um, I don't read as I don't have the luxury of reading to my leisure as I did when I was a child when I was a child or when I was much younger mm. um, than I am now. But it opened a floodgate. And I guess, um, I don't want to say my life mirrors Malcolm X because what he's accomplished in life, I've not even done a fraction of it. But it inspires me to do the, um, do the, people have described it as activism. I just feel as though I'm, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to what is obliged to me as a as an individual who kind of like ticks every diversity box Mm. I'm a black Muslim woman um I'm an artist I'm a reader I'm a mother I'm Mm. everything that is kind of like looked down upon or not so you literally you're literally on the margin of society every margin imaginable you're there I'm there. I'm first generation. My mm. parents are migrants. Mm. Um, though economic migrants, they are migrants all the same. You see how um, the media depicts migrants to be. Mm. Um, I I tick every single box. So um, for me to create um, platforms such as the Black um, Black and Muslim in Britain mm. um, web series and the um, screening that we held at Birkbeck University, which Marcus Garvey actually studied at for me um it's so humbling that I'm able to um carry out events of that nature and have it um covered by publications such as BuzzFeed, OK Africa um there are so many other publications but it's like literally just my mind has gone blank. Could you speak more on the Black in Britain project? Yeah. And what were your inspiration for it? Mm-hmm. And how have you been, in, and how were you inspired to undertake it? So the Black and Muslim in Britain um, project, I'm not the brainchild of it. It's not, it's not, it's not my baby, but it is. I'm mm. kind of like, the, I'm like the enthusiastic auntie. Uh, <laughs> Mohammed Mohammed and Sakina Lenoir, um, they are young um creatives and activists who identify as black and Muslim, but we're all from different backgrounds. So they initially decided to embark on this project where um it's a simple um simple simple concept. You've got a camera facing a group, uh, like a, an individual or a couple. And they're presented with a series of questions that they have. They they've got the floor to answer as candidly as possible, and then that is then packaged into a YouTube video. So a question could be, "What's the strangest thing you've heard as a Black Muslim?" Mm. And then that person can then unpackage it by saying the comments and how it made them feel, and maybe just some friendly advice on what not to t- not what to ask. Um, and the reason why is because what you find as a black Muslim person living in Britain, you are left out of a conversation all the time. So it's like too black to be Muslim, um, too Muslim to be black. Mm. Um, 
if we go to a pan-African setting and they start talking about issues, you will hardly see somebody who is visibly Muslim speaking about those issues or we're not associated with it because everybody has their own preconceptions related to religion and the plight of black people. If you go to a Muslim setting, um, the the anti-blackness within um, the Muslim community is extremely rife. Um, and I guess it's a case of where we wanted to be able to discuss that, where you don't have to worry about offending anybody. You're just being truthful about it. You're being as respectful as possible, but you're just stating your truth and um, your lived experience. And you're given that platform to speak about your issues for yourself. Um, again just kind of like taking ownership of your own narrative and not having to rely on other platforms because a lot of the time we um black muslims or um more now more so than ever talk about the disparity within the muslim um narrative how when you think about a muslim person you're looking at an asian or an arab um and our 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 existence are completely different, but you will never really see a black representative. Um, so that was created and it it got it's gotten quite a bit of a buzz, if I'm to be totally honest. And it was. Uh, I knew about it and I was very excited about it. And I remember speaking to Wassi mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm so upset I couldn't make it because I had a conflicting event that day because I was like, I would have loved to be there because I know <laughs> you and I also know some of the organizers like Mohammed Mohammed. Everybody knows Mohammed. <laughs> like <laughs> he's amazing, mashallah. I um, I'm just so grateful that um, I was able to be a co-producer. I learned a lot about myself. I mm. felt like I was back in university again because mm. um, during university I was a media student. Yeah. Um, we organised these type of um, projects quite often, yeah. so it felt really good to um, kind of like be back in production, but also working towards something that is beneficial for the wider community and not just something for me to kind of like put down on my LinkedIn profile to endorse me. Do you know what I mean? I think that's one thing that I absolutely love about the movement now. When I say the movement, I mean, there seems to be this move where everyone is doing something for the greater benefit of everyone else um and everyone is doing it due to an innate an innate desire Mm -hmm. to effect change wow on that note thank you so much soraya for being such a wonderful guest on books and you're welcome thank you for having me i'm really literally i'm so touched that you um invited me sincerely and this is just the beginning of something really dope it Soraya Bar is an entire mood. Her honest engagement with literature is inspiring. Listen to her poetry and find out more about her works on sorayabar.com. That's S-A-R-A-I-Y-A-B-A-H.com. The details are in the show notes. As stated earlier, I am excited to announce that I will be hosting another live episode of Books and Rhymes, the podcast, on Thursday, 23rd of May, at the iconic Wells Bookshop in Charing Cross with Sarah Dadiko Maninka, author of Independence. Go to foils.co.uk to get your ticket. The link to the ticket is in the show notes. Tune in to next week's episode with Oyekan Braithwaite, author of My Sister the Serial Killer, a novel that was recently shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction 
as we discuss our strategies for coping with criticisms, the importance of being grounded in faith, and the eccentricities of being a Nigerian. An extended playlist of songs featured in this and future episodes are available in the show notes. The song you have just heard is titled Dismembered by Mia Kuhn. If you enjoy this episode, do me a favour and subscribe, rate and review Books and Rhymes on iTunes and your favourite podcast listening platform. Tell your friends about the podcast and continue the conversations by following Books and Rhymes on Twitter and Instagram. That's at Books and Rhymes on Twitter and Instagram. Have a great week and see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.